We're so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Hey Church, I'm Steve. Uh, Sarah and I have been mates with Nick and Christy for a long time. Uh, I came to know Nick and Christy through... Uh, a super loose relational network that we're both part of called the Spirit and Grace Network. Uh, He used to work with a mate of mine, uh, Rob Feeney, who is a pastor at a church in Randwick. Uh, And we've done life together for, I couldn't really tell you how long, but it would be at least a decade, um, just weaving in and out. Um, So they're those kinds of friends that you can parachute in with and and click really quickly. And it's been um, fun this weekend to reconnect with them in their home and hear a little bit about uh, this church, their church home. Uh, as well as um, being involved in the Spirit and Grace Network, I um, have a day job. Uh, my day job is to run a, a little charitable expression of faith called uh, Horizons Family Law Centre. So for 15 years I've, I've run something, the intention of which is to provide a practical expression of God's love to people who are going through a time of crisis, to try and um, awaken people to God's presence with them in their time of crisis and to try and help them understand their capacity through their design with the image of God to remake their own families for better futures. Um, so I'm a lawyer by profession. I sacked myself from working in the city 15 years ago and um, what I do now we do in collaboration with local churches in Western Sydney, Northern Sydney and Southern Sydney uh, because we believe that the kingdom of God is genuine good news uh, for everyone, everywhere, all the time. <laughs> uh, and so for people who don't don't qualify for legal aid, for people who can't afford a private lawyer, for people who within that enormous category have problems that relate to safety in their home uh, or high conflict disputes about their kids, um, we just provide a way that they can get advice and help in connection with a local community of faith who can embrace them and wrap around them more holistically as they um, work through something that's a bit tricky. That's my day job. Um, it's worth mentioning that just because all of our day jobs uh, create a bias through which we read scripture um, and all of our encounters with Jesus create a bias um, that affect the way that we talk. If anyone ever asks us to stand at this part in the room and reckon some stuff out loud about what the Bible might be saying. So I need you guys to know that's my weird bundle of stuff. I know it affects how I read scripture and how I encounter Jesus. Um, and seemingly Nick and Christy think there's some kind of overlap between Yas Community Baptist Church and who I am and what I do for work. And um, they've actually been asking me to come down for a while. They've been saying to me for a while, we really think you and Yas Community Baptist Church would get on well together. And so while Nick's on leave, he set up this awkward blind date for me to come and meet you in the flesh. <laughs> uh, and like anyone going off on a blind date, I've spent some time thinking, well, you know, what, what are we likely to have in common that we could talk about? Uh, and so where I've landed in scripture today is just in a, a saying of Jesus, um, because my hunch is that if we don't have anything else in common, at least we'll have Jesus and his wisdom uh, in common with each other. So although Carl's already prayed for us, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to pray again. Um, Because praying is actually a lot of fun. (laughs) Come on. Uh, So we're part of a big family, Father, and um, there's so much of your family who we haven't met and who we will be blessed to meet. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that somehow or other you would make me a today-shaped blessing for Yas Community Baptist Church and... um, I trust you that even as um, I come and try and be faithful in that, that you will make them um, a today-shaped blessing for me. Uh, So we just love the unforced rhythms of grace that somehow line up people and timings in just the right ways, and we ask that today would be that kind of sacred space for the sake of you, uh, your glory on this earth, and your kingdom uh, here in the Yas Valley. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've titled today's talk, Dragged to Shore, and where we're sitting is in uh, the 13th chapter of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. If you've got Bibles uh, with you in paper or on your phones, um, or if you're watching at home and you need to switch screens to a different screen in your laptop, feel free. Um, but we're sitting in a really short saying of Jesus. Uh, if, if I was ever stranded on a desert island, which, to be honest, I think is unlikely, um, and I was only allowed to take one chapter of Scripture, which seems like an even more unlikely scenario, but stick with me. Uh, if I was trapped on a desert island and I could only take one chapter of Scripture, there's a very good chance I would take Matthew 13. Uh, I have just found um, over and over again these, there's these seven sayings of Jesus that Matthew remembers in one single chapter of his account of Jesus' life. Uh, and they're all, to be honest, super enigmatic. You don't read them and go, oh, I've totally got it now. There's no need to ever read that again. Every single one of them has layers of mystery uh, waiting to be discovered. Uh, and they lay out this um, extraordinary, textured, mysterious, but beautiful vision of what Jesus talks about as the kingdom of heaven. That, that's kind of his shorthand for those moments where humanity find themselves lining up in a sustained way with the patterns and priorities of God. Whenever humanity is lining up in a sustained way with the patterns and priorities of God, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Uh, and in this chapter of Matthew's gospel, he lays out, first of all, this story of a sower who's sowing seed throughout all the world indiscriminately um, with everything everywhere being able to respond to it in a way that's consistent with the will of that thing. Sometimes that works out brilliantly, sometimes it doesn't work out seemingly so well, but the sower sows indiscriminately. Uh, and then he follows it up with these six short sayings where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a field who sows wheat and then someone else who comes in and sows weeds and they grow up side by side until the harvest time is ripe. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that even though it's the tiniest of all the seeds, it grows up to be the greatest of bushes where the birds of the air can come and find rest and shade and food. The kingdom of heaven, it's, it's like yeast that's kneaded into the dough and makes everything rise. It just takes a really long time. <laughs> and then he just goes bang, bang, bang with these three tiny short sayings about what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that someone unexpectedly stumbles across and then sells everything to get their hands on. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who has spent his or her whole life searching for one pearl of great price and then finds it and sells everything to get their hands on it. And then he lands on this final story about the kingdom of heaven being like a net thrown out into the sea. He's, I just love the way that he looks around at just the everyday world and he goes, yeah, I see glimpses of wonder and mystery and beauty everywhere all the time because the whole earth, the Hebrew prophets had said, is full of the glory of the Lord. So of course we would see it everywhere. And when he says these things about what the kingdom of heaven is like, he's not just saying short enigmatic sayings in a vacuum. He's saying it within the broader context of how he's living out the kingdom of heaven through the way that he's going about his work in the world. 
Uh, and so uh, in the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, three chapters before the 13th one, if you've got past year seven maths, uh, in the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus uh, gathering together pretty much 12 anybodies. At the end of the world's worst search process, uh, he just calls any old 12 randoms, a couple of fishermen, a guy who's a zealot, a bloke who really loves money and in the end isn't so faithful in sticking by the, the task. He just grabs any old 12 anybodies and he commissions them to be the 12 ones who will extend out his mission to re-bless the earth. That's the commissioning of what we talk about fantasy as the 12 disciples, but what could more accurately be talked about as the 12 anybodies. And in the 11th chapter of Matthew's gospel, two chapters before the 13th, because again, I'm pretty good at maths, uh, we see Jesus reflecting out loud on how most of his deeds of power have been done inside cities who gave no response whatsoever to the deeds of power that he was doing. And yet he doesn't seem to regret having done the deeds of power amongst them. He just regrets that it didn't provoke a response. (laughs) Uh, And in the 12th chapter of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus standing in solidarity with some proud religious folk uh, who, puffed up by pride, think that they know how the game is meant to work, who the ins are and who the outs are, what the good is and what the bad is. And Jesus says, no, you've missed the point. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he goes on and he continues his little deeds of power program and he heals the sick and he sets free those who are under some form of unshakable oppression and he goes about bringing freedom and beauty and joy and wonder wherever he goes. And inside this beautiful life, he has these sayings. I <laughs> said so there's one, uh, one writer, um, a guy called uh, Tom Wright, who was interviewed by the Australian newspaper a few years ago around about the time of Easter and he says this, he says, Jesus was going around doing the kingdom, uh, healing people, cleansing, uh, cleansing lepers, feeding the hungry. He was celebrating at a party with all the wrong people, transforming people's lives and saying cryptic things <laughs> such as, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, he says, I'll let you figure out for yourselves whether you agree with his opinion or not. Uh, he says, um, the church has it the other way around. It's tended to say we must say it, say it, say it as clearly as possible. And if there's any energy left over... We'll do a bit of it as well. So Jesus says this. He says um, in Matthew 13, starting at verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets and threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Grant us understanding, Father. There's something about that parable that um, actually makes me really sad. There's a, there's a heaviness about it that I suspect brought Jesus no joy to say out loud. Um, and if we're going to understand what the point of him telling this short story was, the first question I guess we probably need to ask is, what's it about? <laughs> what, 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 what is what's this net thrown out of the sea? 
um, if, if you um, do what any preacher in the 2020 does and first Google the answer to your sermon and see what pops up, you'll find people have imagined all sorts of nets being thrown out into the sea. Um, I particularly like this one. Um, it's, as far as I can tell, Scandinavian Jesus going fishing with um, a net that he bought in the outdoor dining section of Ikea. Um, perfect for keeping the flies off your meatballs, but not so good for catching fish, fish of every kind. Um, it is, if you're familiar with 1970s tennis, the Bjorn Borg Jesus casting out the net after having beaten John McEnroe in the Wimbledon final. Um, what it ain't, though, is what would have sprung into people's minds when Jesus told this story because he wasn't telling it to a 1970s tennis crowd and he wasn't Scandinavian. The first people who heard this story, the, the word that Matthew puts on Jesus' lips that we see translated as net is sagane. Uh, it's actually a word for a dragnet. Uh, a sagane actually taken out onto the Sea of Galilee, for instance, um, would normally be taken out by two boats, so big was it, that would draw it over such a large um, section of the lake that it would take almost a small army of people to draw it back into shore. Uh, so a sagane actually functions far more uh, like this kind of um, working bee project that even Yass Community Baptist Church would struggle to pull off without a bit of help from the Uniting Church up the road. A <laughs> uh, sagane then is about strain. It's about scale. There's something about it that it's not grand in like a ooh kind of sense. It's just grand as in whoa. Uh, and there's actually pictures of people in slightly more modern-day um, Middle East using, again, the Sagane net to pull to shore the catch. And when you catch with a net this size, you catch whatever gets caught in it. You catch fish of every kind, is how Jesus tells the story. Uh, it's, um, it's indiscriminately inclusive in the way that its um, substance and scale and strain goes about the task of pulling to the shore. Um, one writer, a guy called Robert Farrah Capon, um, talking about this idea of the Sagane net of the kingdom of heaven, says this, he says, Sagane is a particular kind of net, namely one that's dragged through the water, indiscriminately taking in everything in its path. Accordingly, the kingdom of heaven, and by extension the church as a sacrament of the kingdom, manifests the same indiscriminateness, just as the net fetches out everything it meets in the sea, so the kingdom of heaven fetches home to God everything in the world. That's the scale of the good news that Jesus comes first to incarnate, first to show through the way that he goes into unresponsive towns, pouring out on them kind deeds of power that invite them to wake up to the presence of God in their midst. This is the kind of indiscriminateness that will gather the 12 anybodies and commission them to become the ones who carry forward the single mission that ties history together. This is the kind of indiscriminateness that doesn't check in on the sick before it heals them, that doesn't ask the spiritually oppressed what they'll do once they've been set free, but frees them first and then helps them to steward freedom well. This, this is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and so elsewhere, Jesus will put it this way in the um, 12th chapter of John's gospel. Uh, he says this, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Sounds ominous so far, but it gets better. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. That's the judgment. And when I am lifted up from this earth, I will draw all people to myself. How many people? All people. Because the kingdom of heaven apparently is like a net. 
There's a sorting, we know that, we read that in the 13th chapter of Jesus' gospel, but how many people does Jesus intend to draw to himself when the ruler of the world is forced out? All people. In fact, it's even more than that, because the earliest followers of Jesus chasing the idea that he had planted, watching the seeds grow into something more fully formed, they start to say things like this in Ephesians. uh, Paul writes, he says, "Uh, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13, something that's going to happen when the net is full, a plan for the fullness of time to gather all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so when you sing to us, all thy works will praise thee in earth and sky and sea, we're still only halfway there because we haven't included heaven yet in what's going to be drawn and reconciled and restored to the Father in Christ. All things, whether things in heaven or things on earth. And if you sit me down and say, explain that in an exhaustive, logical way, I'll just shrug my shoulders at you and say, I don't know. I just know it's good news. It's indiscriminately inclusive and it will make sense one day. That's as good as it gets. (laughs) But that's pretty good. What then is this a parable about? It's a parable about a net. Yeah, we got that a while ago. It's a parable, though, about the indiscriminately inclusive way The Catholic, by which I mean worldwide, cosmic, by which I mean universe-wide, intention of our Father who made all things to restore all things to himself in Christ. It's a big parable. (laughs) But Jesus knows he needs to smallen it down to invent a word, to the size of a Sagane net, to make it sensible to the people who are listening to his story. Can we imagine a gospel that's that big and that good and then start to wonder what does it look like to live inside of that? That's that's the task of the church to become so completely befuddled by the size, breadth and goodness of God that we then just humbly spend the rest of our lives thinking, please Lord, is this the way I'm meant to work it out today? It brings us this joy and release and humility and cooperation but now not as the proud religious folk, instead as the surprised wanderers alive inside the net. (sighs) Come on. So the next question, if we figure out, please, Lord, maybe we have figured out a little bit about what this parable is about, is to ask the question, when am I in this parable? Because if we read this parable, we will do what all people reading an Agatha Christie book always want to do, which is skip straight to the end of the story and find out how it finishes. And if we do that, we find ourselves on a shoreline with a sorting out of good from bad, as though that's the point of the story. But that's not when we are in that parable. We know that the net's already been cast out because Christ says when he's drawing breath, the kingdom of heaven is already drawn near. Uh, And yet... The net's not yet full, we're not yet on the shoreline, the harvest hasn't yet come and there's no angels around us sorting out good from bad. So we're not at the end, we're in the middle. When we are in this parable is in the net, working its way through the sea, still in the middle of the catching of all kinds of fish. Still in the indiscriminately inclusive, it doesn't make sense yet phase of the kingdom of heaven. That's when we are, and it is much less neat to live in that part of the story than it is to live at the end. 
But we don't get to live at the end just yet. We get to live in the middle. So when we are in this story is trapped in the net with every other kind of fish in the sea that's being caught up at the same time. And this um, chap, Robert Farrah Capon, who I read uh, earlier from, puts it this way. He says, if the kingdom of heaven works like a dragnet, gathering every kind, the church, as a sacrament of the kingdom, should avoid the temptation to act like a sport fisherman who is interested only in speckled trout. I didn't actually see on the sign for Yass River any um, speckled trout, but there's some Murray cod down there apparently, although Nick was sceptical that they were still down there. (laughs) In any event, the prophetic disruption that Jesus brings through the telling of this saying is to dissuade any of us from only doing things that are going to work, whatever on earth that might mean. Because we should avoid the temptation to act like a sport fisherman who's interested only in speckled trout and hand-tied flies. In particular, the church should not get itself into the habit of rejecting as junk the flotsam and jetsam of the world, the human counterparts of the old boots, bottles and beer cans that are truly Catholic, a truly worldwide fishing operation will inevitably dredge up. I... um. I think that if we good hearted and we start to talk about flotsam and jetsam of the world and boots and bottles and um, beer cans, the, the, the right defensive approach that we would have is, sorry, are you telling me that my colleagues at work are flotsam, jetsam, boots, bottles, boats, uh, boots, bo- boots, bottles and whatever the other one is? Um, uh, no, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is um, you're a bottle, <laughs> I'm a beer can, they're speckled trout and we're all caught up in the dragnet of grace. <laughs> And the dragnet of grace is so indiscriminate that actually all those categories about who's a boot, who's a bottle, who's a beer can, who's a speckled trout, no one even talks about them anymore. Because the only thing that matters is that the categories of good and bad have been collapsed for the moment to reappear someday, but they've been collapsed for the moment into one single category which is included and loved. What God the Father is revealing as he shows himself through the words and work of Jesus is good and bad aren't what he's interested in when he looks at humanity. He's interested in our belovedness in his eyes. He's interested in our includedness in the work of Jesus. And the mission of the church is not to focus on the things that will one day be the angel's job. Note that, not ours. It's not humanity sitting on the shoreline sorting out good from bad. It's the angels. I'm not sure we should ever be trusted with that task. Our job instead is to see a world not through the twin lenses of good and bad, but through the single lens of beloved and included and to treat everyone accordingly. I'm going to pop the bonnet on my work world for a moment. That's really hard. It's so easy to simply respond to people according to the category they seem to fit into. Wise, foolish, right, wrong, nice, unpleasant. <laughs> and I'm on a 15-year journey of how, how to, learning how to love people who aren't always super easy to love. Treating as included people who sometimes fight back and try and escape from their inclusion. <laughs> and yet through um, my skill set as a lawyer, my job is to try and prophetically enact for them the indiscriminately inclusive nature of the kingdom of heaven.
and take a punt and tell a story. Um, so we've got a, a, a bloke we're helping a while back through one of our clinics where we partnered with a local church. And um, when he came in, the second I saw him, I knew that he wasn't doing great. Uh, he looked super tired. He looked like he hadn't looked after himself in a while. Uh, and he was about as confused about what was going on in his family breakdown situation as a person is capable of being. I just got given this stack of documents all mixed in with each other with no delineation between what's a child support problem and what's a parenting problem and what's a family safety problem. It was just one big fuzzy mess with no beginning and no end. And um, It doesn't sound like something you need to go to university for six and a half years to learn how to do, but the very first thing I did was separate out his one big undivided bundle of mess into four neat piles, each sorted in chronological order, and line them up on my desk and say, you don't have one giant problem, you have four small manageable ones. And then, for however long it took, continue to work with him to try and solve the practical issues that he was dealing with. As that took time, <laughs> what I heard in the waiting room while I would be reading through things that he would bring in is some good-hearted volunteer from the local church sitting down there saying, tell me about yourself. Um, you know, when you're not here waiting to see Steve, like, what do you do with your life? What do you enjoy? Uh, and what they came to learn was this is a very isolated person. They get up at like three in the morning, they work till 11, they go to bed, they get up the next day. And it's a job that doesn't bring them into human contact with other people uh, in a mess room or in any other social setting. And so it's a very isolated person. Um, and so they say, well, like, like, do you have any hobbies? Oh, well, I mean, I like, I like going bushwalking. I like, you like bushwalking? We actually got a group in our church who go bushwalking. Do you, do you want me to try and hook you up with our bushwalking group? And he goes, yeah, that would actually be really good. I'd really like that. And the next thing I know, this guy's going bushwalking with a bunch of people filled with the spirit of Jesus inside God's good creation, exhaling and remembering that the world actually has some goodness still happening inside of it, even when his world is falling apart. Uh, and I, I know that through the mystery of all those kind of connections, he's now trying to catch up with one of the pastors from there and begin to build relationship with a guy whose full-time job is to come to work and give practical expression to the person of Jesus inside a local Baptist church. I have no clue where that story is going to go. And to be honest, I don't care because we're not at the shoreline yet. We're still being drawn to shore in the jumbling mess of boots and bottles and speckled trout. What I know is that somehow in the mystery of a person sitting with another person in a waiting room and demonstrating interest in them as though they matter, something beautiful happened. And as a bunch of people who could have just gone bushwalking with a, with a bunch of other nice, neat people who look, at least on the surface, as though they all have their life together, as they open up their bushwalking community and welcome in a bloke who's not doing so well and they don't know and probably talks endlessly about the things that are occupying his mind, disturbing their bushwalk for a time, when they open up their community and let him go bushwalking with them, something beautiful happens. And a guy who used to have an unrelenting cannabis habit is now returning clean urinalysis tests for about seven months in a row. A bloke who used to have a raging alcohol problem is now passing urinalysis tests, showing that he's managing his alcohol problem. A guy who wasn't seeing his child for half the child's life is starting to see his child again as the indiscriminately inclusive nature of the good news of Jesus works its way through the world. And if there's a hero in that story, the hero is Jesus. And if there's a secondary hero in the story, the secondary hero is that man who humbles himself and doesn't fight back against the net that's drawing, the net, the net that's drawing him towards something good, but starts to learn how to cooperate with it and trust where it's taking him. They're the heroes in the story. <laughs> 
Um, so I would argue, um, as I reflect on stories like that and as we start to think about what would it look like for me to live out the indiscriminately inclusive nature of the kingdom of heaven, seeing people only ever as beloved and included, um, firstly, it's important to say there are no important things. You get a missions board at the back of the room and you've got people who are like being Bible college trained and have the word reverend before their name. And it's very easy in that kind of context to think, well, those people are doing important things. No, there's no such thing as important things. That's a nonsense. That's not, that's not the indiscriminately inclusive segene net of the kingdom of heaven because that's caught up lawyering, it's caught up nursing, it's caught up mothering, it's caught up being a cousin and a father and a neighbour, it's caught up teaching touch football to a group of children. All those things are included inside the kingdom of heaven. And if anything's important, they're important as well. But I just find it more helpful to say there's no important things. There's only things that are led and empowered by God's spirit and things that aren't. So we just have this chance this morning to look at our lives and the way that we husband our wives and wife our husbands and parent our kids and treat our parents and how we deal with our neighbour when we're wheeling the bins out and we're both down the bottom of the driveway at the same time and how we engage with our workmate when there's a break in play at work and we get five minutes to have a chat. We get to reimagine all that and ask, what would it look like for the tiny minutiae of my world to be led and empowered by God's spirit? to have just enough loving, prophetic difference for people to start to wake up to the kingdom of heaven all around them and to start to cooperate with what it is and where it's taking them. That's, um, that's a fun experiment to run in a town of 6,000-odd people because <laughs> you guys can actually make a noticeable difference because the spirits already work out there waiting for cooperative people filled with his power to come and join him. A guy called Dave Andrews, who reflects a lot, particularly on the Beatitudes, says this. He says, um, big people can do big things. Important people can do important things, I might say. Um, Big people can do big things, but we can only ever be the big people in our minds. (laughs) In global terms, we will only ever be little people. And as little people, we can only ever do little things. Great things can happen, not as a result of little people trying to do impossibly big things, but as a result of the cumulative effect of lots of little people doing lots of little things that we can do. Uh, He goes on to say, is every act of truth is a victory over lies. Every act of love is a victory over hatred. Every act of justice is a victory over brutality. Every act of peace is a victory over bloodshed. And every small risk a person takes to make a stand, no matter how small it may be, is a victory in the battle to build a better world. (laughs) So here's my challenge to you. Go out there and do small things for Jesus this week. (laughs) Go out there and live tiny but beautiful lives that play your small but beautiful role in the Sagane net of the kingdom of heaven being drawn towards the shoreline trusting that whatever happens when we get there will make sense when we do. Cheers. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.